0: This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to edition 126 of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. I'm pleased today to have Duncan Greatwood, CEO of Zage Security, zero trust security company protecting today's industrial IoT. We are proud investors behind Zage. Duncan is a serial founder and a successful CEO, having sold Topsy Labs, the leader in social media search and analytics, to Apple in 2013, and PostPath, the email collaboration and security company to Cisco in 2008. Previously, Duncan held vice president roles in marketing, corporate development, and sales at Verrata, as well as earlier engineering and product marketing positions at Madge Networks. Duncan holds a BA mathematics and a master's of computer science from Oxford University and an MBA from London Business School. Duncan, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the digital industry leadership podcast series. Ken, okay, Great to be here. And uh, this is long overdue, given uh, all of the uh, interesting things that have happened uh, relative to cybersecurity over the uh, the last several months, uh, especially in the U.S. So I'm greatly looking forward to uh, to this uh, discussion. So I always like to start off, kind of asking the question: You know, what would you consider to be the red thread through your professional journey?
1: Sure, red thread. So. Um you know, I've never kind of had a hyper-structured career. You know, I've tried to do, basically to do big, interesting problems, working with interesting people. Um, and I've sort of followed my nose to, to do that. Um, and, you, you know, I think for me, uh, the center of building the businesses that we've built are, has really been building great products and making the customers successful with those products. Um, so, you know, there are lots of ways to make businesses successful, but... For me, a lot does come down to the product and you know how the customers benefit from it. Um, and so I always kind of get my head deep into that and then, you, you know, as you uh, develop as a leader, I think you also kind of learn more about uh, the critical importance of making the team work together successfully and, um, you know, of course, we all know if to get the right people in the right business and everything else. Um, but but sort of really making the group work effectively as a group has, has been, uh, you know, a key part of, of everything that I've managed to do, um, you know, just combined again with just that sort of slightly insane passion for, for building great products. Mm-hmm.
0: How, how did your early work in collaboration and social media prepare you to play the leading role that you are in, so, in cybersecurity?
1: Well, you know, I think um, cybersecurity always had my attention, um, you know, it was uh, uh, even in my very first job out of college, I remember we had a, a little program that would harvest passwords off the corporate network and um, you know, in those days you could do that kind of thing. And I remember the CIO of that company had set all of his passwords to a single word of money. You know make of that what you will but um, by pointing out those those insecurities people were able to improve and they, you know they adopted a more secure login systems and so on so um, it's always been a thread for me and in collaboration tools um, including email um, it's that's really sort of the brain of the company that's using it um, and if you expose that to cyber risk then There are so many issues, of course, with stealing ideas, um, faking information, and so on and so forth. So even at uh, PostPath and and Cisco, um, we had a very strong emphasis on um, securing uh, the mechanisms and enabling people to share what they wanted and not share what they didn't want. Um, And that's also a strong value at at Zage. We're about enabling people to work together successfully uh, in, in industrial IoT um, we're, we're not the kind of security that's trying to stop things. we're enabling things. Um, but at the same time we want people to be able to place their own limits on what they share and with whom um, and um, you know really kind of con- con- can continue down that thread. And with with um, topsy and, and, and Apple, um, you know, you might think, gosh search, you know it's like the opposite of security. you're trying to harvest all this user data, et etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but we didn't approach it that way and in fact, we developed a whole bunch of, of techniques for um, gathering, understanding without having to expose people's private information um, and you know it's one of the reasons why we did the deal with Apple because because COVID was okay, kind of a, a, a way to continue that and obviously broaden its, its spread dramatically um, by protecting people's privacy there. So it's always been an area of close interest to me um, and uh, you know, sort of core part of the products I've built in the past. Um, and I, I think until Zage I'd never really found a cyber security company that was that was also so concerned with um, with enabling new ways of doing business. Um, many cyber companies are spackle companies. You know, they find a hole in the wall and they run forward with their spackle and fill it in. That's great. And, but um, for for us at Sage, um, you know, enabling these uh, transformative changes in the customer's business and. And underpinning those is is just as important as the security body itself.
0: What was uh, What was the origin story behind ZAGE uh, prior to you joining it? Sure. Um, well, I guess there
1: are technically three founders of ZAGE, myself, um, Susanto, and Roman. And um, we came together with an investor in in Palo Alto, uh, T.M. Ravi, who I had known actually from back in. Uh, email days when both Ravi and I were running running email companies um, and um, we kind of had this insight that, you know, I guess a couple of insights. One was that there was a coming wave of transformation in real world systems, everything from you know how we generate energy, how do we make things, how do we transport ourselves, how do we grow food and on and on and on. Um, and that, set of changes was was intersecting with the need to work much more cooperatively across a much broader group of people so rather than sort of closed systems you're ending up with open systems collaborative systems and um, all of that meant that the kind of cyber security approaches of the past in industrial companies were, were pretty profoundly obsolete and so we kind of had that sort of market understanding i think and then combined with the deep tech that, um, you know, Susanto and Roman in particular were, were responsible for creating and um, to address highly distributed and highly cooperative um, cyber, cyber problems. So, we kind of felt like we had the, the right technical direction combined with the, with the market need. And so, you know, of course, that's really what you need to, to make a company.
0: Mm. Uh, you did you did well connecting with the people that you did. Uh, I know TM Ravi well in the hive there uh, in Palo Alto. He's had a whole string of great companies in, the, in this industrial space. So good partner in that regard. Um, I guess maybe that might answer my next question, but you know why the focus on industrial IoT particularly, especially because I think at the time many of your peers were you know looking at the B2C use cases.
1: Sure, sure. And, um, you know, having been at Apple myself, you know, the B2C is close to my heart too, but I think that there's going to be a ton of continuing evolution in B2C. Um, but the sort of dramatic impact of digital transformation over the next 10 years is perhaps going to be seen most strongly in these um, real-world operations. And we're just starting to see it in some places, so, you know, familiar with the Successes of Tesla and some of these other extremely disruptive companies. Um, so in some cases it'll be new companies, in some cases it'll be disruptions to existing uh, existing companies. But um, there's nowhere I think that's going to see such a you know a maelstrom of change as um, these companies will over over the next decade. Um, it also is um, you know a close fit for the innovative uh, and sort of deep tech approaches that we have at SAGE, um, you know, often, if you are trying to solve cybersecurity for uh, some B2C issues, you know, you'd probably be, you know, my first job is to beg people to change the password on their home router and you know, it's, it's not so much a technical problem, as almost a social problem in B2C. Um, whereas in industrial, it really is a technical problem. You know, people just don't have the right solutions um, to go and uh, secure their operations uh, and, and make their operations more collaborative. Um, and so that's sort of why we felt that there was this uh, special sort of unanswered need in IIoT.
0: Yeah, very clearly. Plus, there's a lot of legacy in this case. So uh, the ability to work across even non-IP networks in many of these cases is you know, right. pretty critical. And so uh, uh, you're, you're, those systems sit there for a long, long time.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, we uh, we we kind of become familiar with large banks of serial modems and you know other things yes. that you yeah. might think have had long since disappeared from industry. But sometimes those systems are connected up to very sophisticated modern compute environments. And part of uh, the zen of sage, I guess, is is you know really accepting the nature of that legacy. Uh, set of environments and embracing it, um, but also helping to uh, bring it into the modern age and you know, provide the
0: kinds of security services
1: that that should exist in these environments.
0: So, uh, what are some of your key use cases and, and probably more importantly, some of your wins? Sure. Um, well, So, you know, the product level, there's
1: kind of three primary use cases or three primary capabilities of the product, I guess. Um, One is simply um, access control Um, and, um, you know, it is uh, easy to forget that most uh, real-world operations really have very limited access control capabilities, so by access control we just mean that everyone who should get legitimate access to something can get that access and people who don't have legitimate access should not get the access and they, you know, you should be allowed to do what you're supposed to be able to do not be allowed to do what you shouldn't be able to do. Um, and um, this is a huge issue across you know, oil and gas, green energy, manufacturing and so forth. So that, that was kind of really where Sage started was building a, a, a true access management system or often called a zero trust um, access management system. Um, and, and you know, sort of implementing that in some of these industries. Um, and I, in the last year, we've kind of layered on top of that an additional set of secure remote access capabilities, also zero-trust remote access capabilities. Um, And of course, um, part of the change that was already underway in these operations was doing more work remotely. That could be humans doing work remotely, it could be automation systems running remotely, it could be analytics running remotely, whatever else. Um, But getting data securely in and out of the operation um, is a huge issue and when you get the data in and out you need to know is that data authentic or does it really come from where it claims it did? Um, does it have integrity? Has somebody changed it or inserted fake data? Um, and can I maintain its confidentiality? I don't necessarily want to share it with everyone, but can I share it with the people I want to share it with? And so that data security that really goes all the way back to the root of the data generation in the physical machines um, has also been you a know, big a big play for Zage. and you know, if we think about some of the custom areas where we've been winning with those um, with those products, um, you know, you can sort of start with um, some of the electrical utility companies. Um, one that's uh, been talked about publicly, for instance, is Exelon or ComEd in Chicago, um, where we've been helping them with the design of a next-generation electrical system. Um, people generating solar energy on top of their buildings, trading energy with their neighbours um, when maybe you have more battery capacity than your neighbour or less, and you can, you can trade the energy back and forth as it's needed. Um, that's actually a sort of great kind of illustration of um, uh, the way that ZAGE works to protect basic access control. You know, who can access the controller for that solar array, for instance. Um, all the way through protecting a business process of did building A agree to sell electricity to building B, was it actually delivered to building B, and if so then that becomes a financial tra- transaction also at the end of the day. So those utility cases and green energy cases is a big, big sector for us. Um, solar, wind farms, um, both local ones and uh, utility scale ones as well. Um, We also have made a pretty hard splash in the world of logistics, which is another area, of course, that's had huge attention during the pandemic. Um, Again, one of the customers that's spoken publicly about us is Domatic, one of the biggest warehouse automation companies in the world. And um, in a warehouse, you have thousands of suppliers or tens of thousands of suppliers involved and sharing data backwards and forwards. You have autonomous machines like forklifts, you have humans moving around, um, you have uh, transactions constantly going in and out of the system. Um, and So it's another sort of very rich uh, sort of industrial stack um, from machines to data to business process um, that we've been able to help protect. Um, we've also done some kind of more adventurous deals, I guess. Uh, one that's kind of a fun one is with the US Space Force. and. Um, uh, just as um, you know, physical things are changing on the ground, um, they're also changing in space. And um, so, uh, satellites are communicating more with each other, and not just with the ground. Um, they are uh, becoming increasingly powerful. So you may have a whole bunch of different payloads on a satellite, and some may be relatively uncontroversial, like a TV service or what have you. Um, some way maybe moderately controversial, moderately sensitive, uh, like uh, telephone calls or um, weather gathering. Um, and some payloads may be uh, very sensitive, they may be uh, you know, US military uh, payloads, for instance. Um, and so the ability to establish uh, real access control um, in those kind of environments is um, is you know becoming extremely paramount. Um, and it's something that we, we are working, uh, you know, enjoying working on with with Space Force. Um, it's also the um, the ultimate kind of distributed systems uh, technical challenges as well. So that's fun for our our technical team to to go and bite off. Um, as, as somebody said to me the other day, uh, it does make for an expensive site visit when your when your uh, software is running 200 miles above the ground. Um, <laughs> it <definitely> <laughs> does. <laughs> So we're going to get all that going on. Um, you know, manufacturing is important to us as well, um, especially the remote access aspects in manufacturing. Um, you know, they've needed to have fewer people in plants, um, especially with COVID. But in any case, it makes sense to take people out of the hazardous environments and so on. Um, and so, more and more, of the work is being done remotely, and Zage's remote access capabilities just fit right in with that. Um, you know, as you probably sense, so I could go on about this this all day. But you know, there are there are water utilities as well as electrical utilities, um, there are transport systems and um, port operator, rail system, and there's some smart city things going on as well, and um, protecting security cameras across a whole bunch of buildings in a couple of the cities in in Asia. Um, so. You know, it's a broad array of use cases um, and and customer wins Um, but it it tends to always come back to these major themes of, you know, call it zero trust in security terms or or in plain English it means, uh, you know, you can do what you're supposed to be able to do and not do what you're not supposed to be able to do um, across the whole system and, um, you know, combined with enabling these more collaborative and more remote work oriented approaches to uh, to their operations.
0: You know, uh, over the last several months, as I said earlier, um, there's certainly been a lot of news relative to uh, cybersecurity. And I'm speaking, of course, about the uh, recent news in the SolarWinds hack and, and the implications and second and third order uh, impact that that seems to have had. Was this as surprising to the industry as we've been led to believe, or was this, you know, something that you know, people would predict that would have happened sooner or later, given the state of our systems?
1: Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, Solar Winds um, is uh, or is or has been a well-regarded company, so I don't think people would have sort of looked at them and say, <coughs> you know, thought that they were riding for a fall or anything. Rather, the opposite, actually. Um, but I think once um, the nature of the hack became apparent, um, it's a little bit of sort of clutching at the forehead and sort of going, "Oh yeah, you know that was sort of a that was sort of a risk that we were running." And the the nature of the risk really is one that occurs in different forms in in many many environments, which is um, that there is really nothing in cybersecurity that you can absolutely trust, and in fact once you dis- once you sort of cross the emotional bridge that you place some kind of absolute trust in something um, you're already headed for a failure uh, because nothing actually is absolutely trustworthy in that way and um, the the sort of lack of or the you know the excessive trust in the SolarWinds hack kind of came down to two main things I think one was um, trust in the uh, in the s- digital signing of the Solowins software. I um, know it sounds a little bit technical, but people felt that well, if 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 uh, if uh, have, have digitally signed their Orion software, so Orion was the name of the product, um, then we know there's got to be okay, and we're, not, we're kind of not going to give it much additional scrutiny because we know it's signed by them; they're good people. It's going to be fine um, and of course as part of the hack the attackers had to uh, either compromise that system or or compromise the build process at SolarWinds so that um, bad software was getting digitally signed um, and um, y- you know it's something that we emphasize at Zage. we build a system with no single point of security failure and so that even if an attacker for instance captures one of our servers or several of our servers um, they still can't change policies or insert, insert false information and so forth. And um, there's no single point of security failure. It's just critical to any kind of actually protected system. And even something that is really quite secure, like a digital certificate, can be compromised ultimately. Um, and you have to sort of protect yourself against the, all, all of those eventualities. But I think it was one aspect. Um, the other aspect was also an excessive trust um, problem which is that because people trusted the Orion software, they would essentially allow it to do anything. So, um, for instance, the Orion clients were placed on Windows machines and um, the uh, hacked uh, Orion software would then implant additional malware on those machines. Now, normally speaking, um, uh, the uh, malware uh, scanners on those Windows machines would detect the malware and, and, and. Toss it out. Um, but um, the Orion clients were actually able to reach over to the operating system and disable <coughs> excuse me, uh, disable those those uh, scanners. So in that case, the Orion software was being trusted to change or, or remove any of the software running on the on the PC. And it, there was no reason why it needed to be able to do that. It was just, well, we trust the Orion software, so we'll let it do anything. Um, and the principles of giving software or people or whatever it is, just enough access rights to do what they need to do for just long enough for them to do it is, is what we you know, sort of bundle under the idea of zero trust. And if you apply those zero trust principles in these cases, then the damage from the Orion hack would, you know, would have been dramatically, dramatically reduced.
0: You know, kind of switching from the IT to the OT, and it's probably a thin line given that um, this did affect pretty much everything. Um, do you believe OT systems, as we know today, are susceptible to the same type of uh, patterns? And and I guess, what would you see then as the critical challenges as we look forward, having learned what we did from the solar hack?
1: Yeah, um, well, without uh, causing undue alarm, I, I think, in general, the OT systems are significantly more vulnerable. Um, they, uh, they will tend to make much broader use of implicit trust or excessive trust in their setups. And you know just as an example, um, generally today or the, leg- the legacy method of implementing security in OT has been to divide the OT into a few network zones and then um, if you gain access to the network zone you're essentially allowed to do whatever you like within that zone. Um, including reprogramming production controllers in a um, uh, manufacturing plant or uh, recalibrating a sensor on a uh, oil tank or whatever else it might be that you can do on that zone. So even though you might have no reason or no need to do any of those things given your role in the company or given your uh, function as a piece of software, And once you get inside the zone, it's unprotected. There's very often no more passwords or very limited security beyond that point. So um, this excessive trust problem um, is worse in OT than it is in IT. Um, And um, it uh, has, you know, we sort of survived kind of of to this point because OT has been separated off to a very significant extent. Um, but, of course, as people digitally transform, they're no longer separated off. You know, they're now the they're, they're IT and OT are converging and almost becoming one, one thing. Um, people need access from the outside world. And um, partners have access to the data so they can run clever AI and, you know, be better partners for you um, and on and on and on. So um, the need to bring um, zero trust solutions into the OT world is uh, is actually even more more pressing than it is within you know traditional IT environments.
0: So, if I was deploying a new OT system today, or or even just overseeing one, you know, what what would your advice be relative to uh, my cybersecurity stance and how best to protect myself?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I I think firstly, um, people. Actually, need to get comfortable with enabling remotes and partially remote operations um, and uh, collaboration. Um, you know, the, I have seen some customers who, um, you know, suffered problems, and and their reaction was was kind of like, uh, you know, that that is it. i I've had it with this internet thing. I'm I'm disconnecting myself, and uh, you know reality is you actually can't do that and um, as they attempt to do it, what they end up with is they're trying to build a hard perimeter um, but they've punched a whole bunch of holes into and out of the perimeter so they're, they're actually kind of in a worse state than where they where they uh, started. So I I think kind of embrace the needs of transformation is sort of step one, is sort of accept that you're going to have to do it, you should do it, it's the only way to improve your business which you need to do to survive. Um, and then I think Given that acceptance, then you really have to um, bring true, granular, zero trust control over what's happening. Um, and that means moving from a reliance on the perimeter, um, of course, into uh, reliance on identity, authentication, uh, and authorization systems. Well, sometimes people say uh, that each identity becomes its own perimeter. Um, and so you can decide what's getting into and out of individual machine, um, rather than deciding what's coming in into and out of OT as a whole. Um, and you know these zero trust approaches are not easy to implement in OT today, but they are possible. And you know, of course, Sage is is would say the leader in, in enabling that to happen. Um, but um, you really need that sort of rigorous access control and integrity assurance um, in order to be able to run a modern, uh, you know, kind of collaborative uh, OT system. Um, there are also products from third parties that will try and detect uh, breaches and, and, you know, look for incoming threats and so on. Those are valid products to include as well. Um, but the, the baseline really is do you, have you implemented real access control and end-to-end integrity in the systems that you're using? And if you haven't, it's only a matter of time before somebody jumps over the uh, OT perimeter or the zone perimeter uh, that you're using and uh, you know, starts to go, to go haywire within your, within your environment.
0: So I, the uh, short answer is, uh, call Duncan if you're getting ready to deploy an OT system. <laughs> we
1: uh, we, uh, we can help. Yeah, we can help. We, we don't want to scare people, but uh, we yeah. we think we can help for sure.
0: Well, for any of us, those of us who have been on the factory floor and and seen, as you say, the banks of modems, uh, um, believe me, uh, you you can begin to imagine the uh, the uh, the number of holes that must be in all of that. So, I'm glad you guys are around. Let's switch a little bit and talk about you as a as a successful serial entrepreneur. I mean, given your own experience and especially the the jumps you've made between different domains, what would you advise you know the aspiring entrepreneurs who wanted to follow in your footsteps?
1: Sure. Um, well, I mean, I, I think the first thing is to sort of um, check in with yourself that you're kind of doing it for the right reasons almost. Um, you know, there are, for most people, there are easier ways to make, mo- make money, quite honestly. Um, and, um, you know, if, if you're just after recognition and fame, I, I don't know, I guess you can put your cute dog on Instagram or something. There are, again, there are easier ways to, to go after it. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it tends to uh, work best for people who actually enjoy going and solving problems, um, especially solving problems in concert with other people, um, you know, whether that's colleagues or, you know, customers probably in combination. Um, if you enjoy that problem solving for its own sake, um, then, um, you know, you, you, you're, you're at least like kind of on a path where you'll, you have a better chance of success, I think. Um, it's definitely been the case to me that resilience is is key as well. Um, you know, there are always ups and downs in the journey of building a company, and um, y- you know, you have to be willing to fall back on your inner resources from time to time. Um, and um, again, that's not for everybody, uh, but um, it's uh, it's super satisfying when you do that, and you you know, you, you end up with a group of people who have been successful together. And, and make that work. And um, I, th- I think the other thing is um, one of the other things is is kind of the importance of stepping back as you're sort of making the journey um, with your with your company. Um, Parts of building a company is like incredibly sort of focused, hard working periods where you just hammer, 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 hammer on things. Um, but the stepping back, where you say, "Oh, you know, should we really do it like that, or would it be better if we did this? Should we engage with that kind of customer? Should we go to market in that kind of way?" Um, those stepping back moments are often the hardest work because they require you to kind of challenge your, you know, your preconceptions or your ideas that you had at the beginning, where you may be a little bit in love with or whatever else. Um, but the stepping back is often actually what makes the thing successful in the end, um, and so you know i think that sort of ability to swap backwards and forth between hammering on the idea pushing it forward and, and then being a little dispassionate and figuring out what needs to change is is also key um and you know maybe the many things you could say of course many people have said many good things about being an entrepreneur i think having fun is important as well you know it's uh there's always going to be Good days and bad days, but um, if, if you have fun along the way, then you can also, you know, you can, it makes it a lot easier to ride, ride out the, the bad days and, and ultimately get successful.
0: I um, often like to ask this question of um, our, uh, our successful surreal entrepreneurs, and I had one I remember a while back. He, basically, what would be your advice? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I came, like
1: I came, your, I came, yeah, yeah, I came a little, right. I probably, I was going say I came a little close to saying that, perhaps, but uh, I think um, it's one of those: if you if you know that you should do it, then do it, and if you don't know that you should do it, then you know think uh, think twice before just kind of running into it because uh, you think it's the "quote unquote" right thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, finally, you know, we always like to ask um, what people, books, and or resources inspire you, Duncan.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, in people terms, you know, I think some of the most influential people on me were some of the early bosses that I had, and I, you know, was very fortunate to start my career in the entrepreneurial world. So, you know, I didn't have to suffer uh, through the, the low levels of, of corporate life, really. Um, and um, you know, there's there's people there who who you know inspired me directly, and you know, we, we all get inspired as well by some of the people who've built brilliant companies and you know, I think Jeff Bezos uh, you know, not everybody loves Jeff Bezos but he has done truly amazing things with with his business and just you know kind of thinking about him this week with with his changes that he's announced um, in in terms of resources um, you know I think, A lot of entrepreneurship does come from within, and so I've never been one of those people who sort of hero worships or follows a playbook or what have you. I think you have to kind of figure it out. Um, I think in the cyber world, um, there have been a couple of books that are pretty interesting. There's one by Nitesh Danjani about, um, I think it's uh, Abusing the Internet, it's called or something, um, that uh, is is really quite a good guide to thinking creatively about cyber. And, um, you know, we've also um, lent on some of the work that's been done on um, distributed security at Stanford, actually. Um, There's a really nice uh, educational website, cbr.stanford.edu, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of resources there if you want to go deeper technically on the the theory of distributed uh, cyber operations. Um, So, you know, I think. I think successful entrepreneurs, usually are, they're a little bit squirrelish sort or of jackdawish that they pick up shiny things from all kinds of different places and get ideas from all kinds of different people and places. And you know, I, think, I think that's the, the best way to, to get inspired and you know, build from your personal experience as well.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for this insightful interview. I've really appreciated getting to know you even more at this point. Okay, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. So this has been Duncan Greatwood, CEO of Zage Security, and uh, if I may, Mr. Zero Trust. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.